Red Rocks, how we doing, guys? BJ, how you doing, buddy? Are you so good? I'm so good if you are. Guys, it's a good night to be in church. I'm happy you guys are here. Um, I just feel something special in the room tonight and uh, just excited to experience God and meet with Jesus. And he wants to tell somebody, maybe a lot of people in here, that you're doing better than you think you are in life. And maybe you feel out of breath and anxious, like you're falling behind. You're not. Um, somebody in here needs to know you're doing better than you think you are. And five years ago, I, uh, I listened to maybe my favorite message I've ever heard, and it was by a pastor named Judah Smith. He's a pastor in Seattle. He preached this message where he gave an insight into Luke chapter 10 that I had never seen before, and it like, it blew my mind. And uh, literally since then, this has been the one thing more than anything else that has helped me rehab religion, like more than anything. And uh, today I just thought I, I would love to share it with you, if that's okay with you guys. You actually don't have a choice, but I'm going to. Um, and, you know, at, like uh, we talk all the time when we get to communicate, we try to be a lot of things. A few of them are authentic and real and gritty, and we, uh, we, we like to struggle in front of you. Um, we like to be original and effective. Today's one of those days where I feel like I can sacrifice originality for the sake of being effective because this message I heard, this insight to Luke chapter 10, um, I just kind of wanted to to kind of hand it to you the same way it was handed to me. And so give credit where credit is due. A lot of these thoughts are from Judah Smith and C.S. Lewis and John Mark Comer and Levi Lusco, just like a, a, a conglomeration of, of a lot of key points that have helped me rehab religion. And I just wanna hand them to you today. And so if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, go straight there. We're gonna read from the ESV verses 25 through 42. Here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, being Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. He's a lawyer. He's going to ask good questions. Jesus said to him, Well, what is written in the law, and how, how do you read it? The lawyer answered, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a great answer. He's a lawyer. He's going to give great answers. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Just do that. Yeah, just go do that and you will live. Do that 100% of the time, perfectly, never mess up, love everybody unconditionally, always, and you will earn for yourself eternity in heaven. But this guy, desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, well, like, who, who is my neighbor, really? And Jesus replied, let me tell you a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite came to the same place and saw him and once again, he too passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Jesus finishes the story and then says, Now which of these three do you think proved to, to be a neighbor to this man who fell among the robbers? And the man says, Well, I mean the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You're correct. Now just go and do that. Go and do likewise. And that's all we get from that scene. And then all of a sudden, it changes, and we are now in Mary and Martha's living room. All right, here we go. This is another very famous story. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, and Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha, the older sister, was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my little sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her to help me, please, Jesus. But Jesus answered her, Martha, 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 you are anxious 
and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that one thing. It's the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. If you're taking notes, I want to call this message to Eremos and beyond. Quick shout out to Buzz Lightyear for help with this title. Eremos, you're like, well, what is that? You might know 30 minutes from now. But just for now, write it down. To Eremos and beyond. And so, God, we love you. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome in this place. I pray that you would do what you do best. Transform souls and hearts and lives in this room. I pray that we could encounter this Jesus that we just read about. I pray we could breathe out and leave here built up and not beat down. Truly feeling deep down that we are actually doing better than we think. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, anybody been to a, a good wedding recently? Anybody? A few? Okay. Summer? Okay, I like this. I was, I was at a good wedding last night, and uh, I'm just a fan of weddings. I am. I, I just, I love love. I question you if you don't. Um, love weddings. I love big parties. I love free food, right? Say something. I love free food. And uh, despite the fact that I actually, playing kickball this past week, um, pulled a muscle like my quad, Playing kickball, guys, I'm like, I'm 31. The future does not look bright for this guy physically. Kickball, I pulled a muscle in my leg. And so, like, like even though I'm injured, um, I'm still here preaching today. And I know, I know, guys, it's not me, it's him. And, uh, and I still... I still love the dance floor, okay? So even last night, I'm like, get me on the dance floor. I'm not the world's best dancer. In fact, I'm arguably like the world's worst dancer, but I can be like the goofy guy on the dance floor all day. Like, get me on that dance floor. I have a, a great time until, until the song, Teach Me How to Dougie, comes on, okay? This, uh, <laughs> this is, Paul, do we have that? Do we have the beat? If you don't know it, it goes like this, and there is a... Uh, there's a dance that you do. It's called the Dougie. All right, we can cut it because I actually, this whole story, I'm telling you this because I can't, in fact, do this dance, okay? My wife has tried to teach me this dance so many times, but I can't do it, and, and my name is Doug. And so when I'm, like, at a wedding reception on the dance floor, that beat drops, and everybody looks at me like, well, your name's Doug. Teach us how to Dougie. Like, they all look to me to teach them how to Dougie, this, this scene that I'm describing to you has happened about eight to ten times in my life. I'm not kidding you. Along with last night, like I get anxious. Like when I'm about to go to a wedding, my wife's like, even like if I'm doing the wedding, if I'm officiating the ceremony, she's like, oh, you're nervous for the ceremony you're officiating. I'm like, no, I'm nervous for teach me how to Dougie because I know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to look at me and say, well, your name's Doug. Teach us how to Dougie, Doug. Dance for us. And what they don't know is I so badly want to be able to teach them how to Dougie, you guys. I so, like, it's one of my biggest prayers. Like, I want to live up to my namesake. I so badly want to be able to teach them how to Dougie. And everybody's looking at me like, we finally met a Doug under the age of 55, and he can't even do the Dougie. Like, I don't even know if I believe in love anymore. Like, I ruined the wedding because I can't do the Dougie. This has happened so many times, okay? <laughs> and, uh, like, like, for me, like, people always say, like, oh, but, like, you can dance. Like, just get out there and have a good time. Everybody can dance. And that would be so sweet if it weren't such a lie. It's not true. Not everybody can dance. You might not be able to dance. Now, what you can do, everybody can, like, have fun and be goofy and do the thing. Not all of us were blessed by the good Lord with an ability to externally express the rhythm we so clearly feel on the inside. Not all of us can do that. I can't do that, okay? And I don't stand a chance when that infamous, infamous beat drops. I am no match for it. That's why I married um, my wife, and she has more rhythm in her five foot three and three quarters body 
then Michael Jackson, then the entire Jackson 5. Like, girl can dance. And so my wife saves the, saves the day every wedding that I almost ruin love for everybody. And she, she steps in between me and this angry mob, and she teaches everybody how to Dougie, and we all have a great time, and she's the hero, and of course she is. My wife on the dance floor. If the dance floor is performance-based, I don't stand a chance on the dance floor. My wife is the only chance I got. Here's my transition. Have you, have you, have you ever been faced like with a challenge that you are no match for on your own? Like you've ever been faced with a, like has a beat ever dropped that you are no match for in any way, shape, or form? Because this lawyer in our story just asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, like how do I get to heaven? How do, like, what do I have to do to get eternal life? It's a great question. Like, you got FaceTime with Jesus? I'd ask him that question too, right? And Jesus says, well, you, like, do you know the law? And this guy says, well, yeah. He says, well, what is it? And the guy says, well, love the Lord you got with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, that's a great answer. Just go and do that. And when Jesus says go and do that, he means 100% of the time, go and do likewise. And if you can get 100%. And if you never fail, you will earn eternity in heaven. And this lawyer, he's, he's a smart guy. He's sharp. So immediately he knows, like, well, nobody can do that. Like, Jesus might as well have just said, like, teach me how to Dougie to me. Jesus might as well have said, like, yeah, swim across the Pacific Ocean and you can go to heaven forever one day, right? Like, doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are. It's the same thing, like Mother Teresa could not do this love your neighbor thing that Jesus is talking about 100% without ever failing. Like even Michael Phelps, I picture him walking down to the Pacific Ocean like, what up, I'm here, I'm Michael freaking Phelps. And you're like, okay, yeah, you are, but you still can't do this. This is the Pacific Ocean. This is, this is impossible for a human being, and this guy knows that. And he starts, he starts looking for a loophole. That's what the message version says. He's like, can we see the fine print on this, this neighbor thing, Jesus? Like, neighbor, right? Such a, such a funny word, you know? So ethereal and abstract. Like, what is, like, what do you think a neighbor is, Jesus? Why don't you tell me? And Jesus says, great question. Here's a story to explain it. And Jesus says, there's this guy, this Jewish guy, this Jewish man, and he's, he's on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. And halfway along this journey, he gets, um, he gets uh, uh, mugged and robbed and, and stripped half naked and left half dead by the side of the road. And so immediately, this guy's like, well, this is a mood killer. Like, I just asked what a neighbor is, and this, this, got, this got dark really quickly. But Jesus goes, oh, but don't worry. As luck would have it, a, a priest walks by, and this lawyer thinks, well, well, that's good. The priest will help him. But Jesus says, no, the priest couldn't be bothered. He's powerless to help this guy, and he, he keeps walking. Oh, but, but don't worry, because a Levite comes by next. And you see what Jesus is doing here? These are religious, very elite men. A Levite walks by, but the same story as the priest, the Levite could not be bothered and is powerless to help this man. But then, but then, a Samaritan shows up. Now, I guarantee you, as soon as Jesus said that, this lawyer's blood starts boiling, okay? Because back in the day, the, the, the racial tension between Jews and Samaritans was at a, a 10 out of 10 level. Okay, they, they hated each other. In particular, Jews hating Samaritans. They believe that like the Samaritans, they are half-breeds. They believe that God hated them, and so they would avoid them at all costs. Even if, like, it'd be faster to walk through Samaria on a journey, they would take an extra few days to go around. So they would not have to, to run into a Samaritan ever. So when Jesus says, then a Samaritan shows up on the scene, and this lawyer is a Jewish man, and so is Jesus, and this lawyer is thinking, yeah, you and me both, Jesus, we both know what the Samaritan's going to do. Yeah, he's going to kick this guy while he's down. And Jesus says, actually, it's the Samaritan who shows compassion. The Samaritan picks this guy up and starts bandaging his wounds and pouring on oil and wine, and that was expensive. He's expending his own resources, puts this guy on his animal and takes him to, 
to a local inn, a local hotel, and basically leaves his credit card and says, I want to pay for this guy for three days. I'll be back, and, and it, when I come back, if there's anything left outstanding, like, like it, it's covered. I got unlimited. Like, it's covered. Whatever I have to do, I've got this guy. The Samaritan is the ultimate hero in the story. And then Jesus says, now, which one of these three guys was a good neighbor? And I, like, he can't even, the lawyer can't even say Samaritan. He's like, the guy who showed compassion. And Jesus is like, yeah. So just go and do that. How do you get eternal life? How do you get to heaven forever? Oh, you just, you go and you love unconditionally and perfectly everybody. Okay, so your family, your friends, your barista, the people that like you, absolutely. But not just like those you love and the people who make you coffee. You love your enemy, right? The church that hurts you, that group that gossips about you, the person that, that wrongs you. Raiders fans, like people who have different political opinions than you, like everybody, you love them perfectly without condition, and don't fail, and if you can do that, eternity is yours. And I'll quote Judah Smith here, but he says this, the sad part of this whole story is we're almost left to believe the lawyer actually tried. Because this scene ends right here. And that's all we get. The sad thing is, like, we're almost left to believe this lawyer, like, took Jesus, like, he actually tried to, to go and do that. Go and do likewise perfectly and eternity is yours. Now, Luke is the author of, of Luke chapter 10, right, and he is being divinely inspired by God to write this chapter and order scripture in the order that it is, okay, and so he writes the Good Samaritan story, and then immediately he takes us to the living room of Mary and Martha's house, and what we see back to back in that order are two scenes that could not be more contradicting and conflicting than they are. Because we just go from Good Samaritan, go and do likewise, to all of a sudden we're in Mary and Martha's house and Mary is sitting in front of Jesus, crisscross applesauce on her carpet square in the living room. And she's just staring Jesus in the face just like, oh my gosh, she's, she's staring into the eyes of like pure and real love. And she's saying, don't stop talking and telling me stories like, this is amazing, I'm sitting right now with the creator of everything, right? Meanwhile, her older sister Martha is in the kitchen doing what any noble and honoring person would do if you know God is coming over to your house for dinner. She's in the kitchen making dinner. Absolutely she is. Before we vilify Martha as the culprit in this story, like you would be doing this too if Jesus was over at your house to eat. I'm sure she's thinking, yeah, I'd love to sit in front of Jesus and listen to his stories, but somebody has to cook a meal, Mary. Somebody's got to pay the bills, right? And I see her in the kitchen getting, like, so frustrated and, and flustered, and eventually she, she runs out into the living room, and I picture her, like, in an, in an apron covered in pita bread flour, and she's just, like, like, a mess, and she's mad, and she says, Jesus, will you please tell my little sister to come help me? Because I'm doing everything. She's doing nothing. Tell her to come help me. You know how you can translate that? Pay attention here. Jesus, can you please rebuke Mary for being anti-Good Samaritan? I mean, of the two women in this scene, which one looks more like the Good Samaritan? Mary or Martha? Martha is the one going and doing. Martha is the one serving. Mary is doing absolutely Nothing. Mary's like, she's the bum in this scene. Like, for crying out loud, she's anti-American in this scene. That's who Mary is. Like, you do not get rewarded for doing absolutely nothing. And Martha is, is right in what she's like. She's like, Jesus, will you please tell my sister to go and do likewise like the Good Samaritan? And Jesus says, no. He says, 
In fact, Mary has chosen the good portion. She's chosen the one thing necessary, and I will not, I will not take it from her. It says, Martha, you are, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but Mary has chosen what's right. But Martha's rightfully confused. It's like, well, I've heard you tell this good Samaritan story. So go and, go and do, guys. Come on, let's go. Let's go and do likewise. And then Jesus is saying, hey, guys, do nothing. <laughs> That's why, like, I, I heard Judah Smith joke about this. Like, I've been in a lot of sermon series planning meetings, right? Every, every sermon you'll ever listen to, you will never hear these two passages preached in the same sermon because they are so conflicting and so contradicting. And so what we'll do is we'll take the Mary and Martha story and we'll say, hey, we're going to teach that. Like that'll be a summer series when everybody's exhausted and we all just need to rest and just be with Jesus. We'll talk about Mary and Martha. But then when fall rolls around and it's October and we want to get the church rallied and get going, we'll preach the Good Samaritan story, right? Like, come on, church, it's, it's October, it's, it's Good Samaritan Month, so here's what we're going to do. We're all going to, every, every day this week, you're going to wake up and you're going to write an encouraging thank you card, uh, and you're going to sign it, Jeremiah 2911, and you're going to give it to a new coworker with a come and see card every day this week. And we're going to double our tips, heck, we might triple some tips at some restaurants this week, and get your non-perishables and your canned food, because we're doing a drive next weekend, and you can follow our brand new Instagram handle, it's, it's at the good Austinite, right? And, and, and like, so you go out and you post all the ways that you're loving Austin and we'll get the word out and we'll change our city. Church, what do you say, right? Like, let's go, let's go and do likewise. And, and yeah, I mean, nobody's going to argue that. Probably should do some of that stuff. But like, like so is that it? Is that the great mystery for his kingdom come, his will be done? Is that the, the great mystery of how the, the local church is the hope of the world? Just try harder to be like the good Samaritan? I'll quote Judah one more time. If trying harder to be the good Samaritan was the remedy for a broken world, it would have worked by now. Like it would have worked centuries ago. All right, so what do we do then? Like, what do we do, Jesus? Jesus is like, uh, I'm being very clear. Ah, uh, no, you're not. Like, I'm rightfully confused here. At least separate this by like a few chapters in Luke. This is back to back. So we, we have, hey, go and do. Go and serve. Go and give above and beyond. Come on, church. Go and be the change that you want to see in the world. And then literally the next verse says, hey, guys, don't do anything. What? Well, which one is it? Well, <laughs> I mean, you should go and do likewise. you got to do something. Just make sure it's nothing. What? Well, yeah, WWJD. Come on, we got to go and we got to do. We don't just sit around on our proverbial couches and do nothing. Except we do, though, guys. <laughs> well, what do we do? Guys, I have no idea. Good night. Like, let's pray. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Got to sit in that tension for a week, okay? <laughs> All right, let me throw this out there. What if the only reason that we are confused right now is because we just read these two stories with religious lenses? And what if you read, what if when you read these two stories with religious lenses, which we just did, you'll read, you'll read the story and you will mistakenly read yourself into the story as the good Samaritan. And what if you're not? Well, if I'm not, then who is? Take a wild guess. What's the one name that's usually the right answer in church, right? Well, then who am I? What, what if me? What if you? What if, what if you are the man broken by the side of the road? 
What if you are the man who is left there half dead, broken in your trespasses and your sin by the side of the road? And then what if the priest comes along, a.k.a. the law, and it's powerless to help you in your condition? And then what if the Levite comes along, a.k.a. religion, and still it's powerless to help you in your condition? But then what if the good Samaritan of the ages, a.k.a. Jesus, comes along and does for you what you could not do for yourself, which is actually live this out perfectly, almost like a God who would come down a ladder searching for you because you could not get to him. And what if this God, who, by the way, is marginalized and pushed to the side and disregarded by us, and despite that, he still comes to us and picks us up, puts us on his animal, and over the period of three days, at a great cost to himself, restores us and brings us to an inn and says, take care of him, I'll be back, and I promise you, if anything's outstanding or or wrong, when I come back, it'll all be okay, and it'll all be squared up, I promise you. What if Jesus Christ is actually the good Samaritan? Once you see this, you can't unsee it. The more you rehab from religion, the more you will start to see Jesus everywhere in your Bible. Everywhere in the Old Testament now, like, it points forward to him. Every prophecy, like even the law, foreshadows the need for Jesus. Everything in the Bible, you will start to see Jesus everywhere. He is the good Samaritan in this story. And yes, his challenge in calling for us is to go and do likewise. That is our calling as Christians. But that is impossible unless we make a habit of sitting crisscross applesauce in front of the good Samaritan. The one who says, yeah, hey, go and do likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, it's easier said than done. That's hard. Yeah, I know. That's why you got to get it from me first. I mean, isn't that a pattern everywhere? What is it? 1 John 4.19 says, hey, we love because he first loved us. You got to get it from me. Hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, just as I have loved you, Jesus is the power behind this, right? Like it's just like God to give us a calling and a challenge as Christians that is impossible for us to do on our own without him. And it's for that reason is why we need to maybe now more than ever before figure out how to find and live in the posture that Mary had every single day. And the secret to that all comes back to the Greek word eremos, E-R-E-M-O-S, the eremos. The eremos is used all over the New Testament. So anytime you see, like, like for instance, Mark 135 says before the sun was even up, Jesus got up and he, he went and he found a quiet place where he prayed and he spent time with his father. Quiet place. The Greek word for that is eremos. Anytime you see like Jesus is being followed by <clears throat> massive crowds and they all want something from him. And like every once in a while it'll say Jesus withdrew to desolate places or he withdrew to a lonely place to pray and be by himself and get recharged and filled back up because he's fully God but also fully human. The Greek word behind there for desolate or lonely or quiet place is the Greek word eremos. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he will fast and pray for 40 days. And you might know the story. Like, yeah, at the end of that, he gets, like, tempted by Satan. Satan shows up, like, and what a low blow. Like, when Jesus has been fasting for 40 days at his weakest, the enemy does that. At his strongest, the enemy does that. Yeah, he's been fasting for 40 days. The Eremos was the source of his strength. 
the eremos is the place of relationship. You remember, like, like if, you, if you remember nothing else, Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. And the eremos is the place, I would argue, of relationship. So when Mary is sitting in front of Jesus in the living room, Mary is in the eremos. She's in the eremos, the place of relationship, whether it's your kitchen table in the morning or in your car on a long eight-hour drive or on a hike or a walk outside or paddleboarding. The eremos is the key, you guys, I'm telling you. Like, we know, like, the world we live in now, right? In Austin in 2019, it's now possible, like it never has been before, to completely eliminate silence from your life. Like, completely. We can distract ourselves 100% of the time now. And so, the Eremos is probably what we need the most and what we actually get the least. And I'll just, I, I, I will put this on you. Your Eremos, your responsibility. You finding your Eremos is on you to get away and to find the place wherever it is and to carve time out of your, yes, very busy schedule full of a lot of good things. I'm just here to say, like, if you don't say no to some good stuff, you will, you will completely miss the great stuff and perhaps the most important stuff. Your Eremos, your responsibility. I would even, I'll go as far to say this. You could be in the Rocky Mountains, miles from nobody. If you have your phone and it's not on airplane mode, you're not in the Aramos. The Aramos, our greatest weapon, the posture of Mary, face to face with this physical manifestation of pure love. Because Martha, on the other hand, and God bless her, like, I, I'm, I'm her in this. Martha is a picture of religion. And it comes from a good and noble place in her heart. It's not like evil motives here. She just thinks, man, I, I, like, I got I to gotta please God. I got to earn something with him. I'm serving him. Like, serving him is more important than knowing him. That's what she's thinking. Religion, guys, it's not a church thing. Religion is actually a human thing. Because it's logical. It makes sense when God absolutely does not. And so we, we run to religion. Like in the church, religion says like, hey, God grades on a curve, so you better be more lovable and choosable than the knuckleheads around you. But you, you leave church and culture grades us on a curve also. That's why you constantly probably feel like, oh, I'm falling behind. I got to catch up. Man, maybe I can get ahead for a little bit. I at least got to stay caught up and uh, try not to fall behind. And creates this like, this like low grade like anxiety. Like it's so crazy. What like it's a human thing that just makes sense. Like you were like when you graduate college, you're completely fine and okay until all the people around you start finding good jobs that they like and you haven't. And all of a sudden, it's I was just okay last week. Like. I have like a knot in my, my stomach now. Well, like you, you were completely okay until like a lot of your friends around you start getting married and you're like, <sighs> right? Like, what's wrong? Like, I'm falling, I'm falling behind and, and this is why you're here maybe tonight for me to tell you you are doing far better than you think you are. And in the Eremos, that's what you would hear. You are doing far better than you think you are. Let Jesus say that to you. <laughs> You're not falling as far behind as you think. Until you get, like, honestly, like, you get on social media and then all of a sudden it's, it's all the evidence that you need of all the people out there who are doing better than you, the person who has the better job, the person who's prettier, the person who has more money, the person who goes on a new vacation every single week and then all of a sudden it's, oh, God, like, are, we, are you okay? Am I good? I don't, are you good? Are we good? I don't know. It's not just, 
Like, as much as we like to think that when we post about, like, our victories and wins, that, like, it makes all of our followers feel warm and fuzzy, like, <laughs> I don't know. This is why, like, something in us, when we see other people fall behind, not necessarily, like, our loved ones, but just people in general, we notice, like, oh, they, they fell behind, like, something in our flesh, like, secretly celebrates and kind of leaps and I'll give credit to us as humans it's not because we like like we want them to have a bad life it's because when that happens and they fall behind we can finally like breathe out and take a break like um okay maybe I am doing okay if that person's not maybe I'm not falling as behind as I as I thought I was and and even in the church, like, we do this in culture, but, like, we do it to earn our salvation. Like, like God's grading on a curve, but then even when we kind of, like, debunk that myth in our own spirit and we receive salvation, like, I fall into this all the time. Like, now it's like, hey, we got we to gotta change the world, guys. Come on, let's go, 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 and do likewise. We're going to change the world. <laughs> like, the whole world? Yeah. Then change it. To what? I don't know, man, but we're changing it. We have to. Good Samaritan, we have to, right? Got to go deeper, man. Got to go deeper in my faith. And, and absolutely, that comes from a pure place in your spirit that knows God is an infinite well or ocean, if you will, of goodness and love and joy and peace for you not only to, to know about but to experience in your life. And if you have a holy discontentment and a hunger for more, God put that in you. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Until it becomes like, oh, not getting fed enough. We need to go deeper, man. Well, like, what do you mean? Like, oh, more Greek. We need more Greek. Whew. It's like, that's what we need. That's intellectual ascent, more Greek. And I know a lot of Greek, and it's made me smarter. It hasn't necessarily made me like a better person. Aramos, like that word has, metanoia, Ethan talked about that all last week, that has. It's like, man, we need, no, more truth. Come on, like grace and love, this is the shallow end, man. Come on, like it's only truth if it stings and if the pastor's yelling at me, right? Like this is, we need this. And all of a sudden just anxious and troubled. And we should be just sitting crisscross applesauce in, in front of Jesus. Because Mary found out what you will find out, even if you got to the bottom of that ocean of all of the mysteries of the creator of everything, the deepest mystery that you would uncover. I picture this rock at the bottom of the ocean that you overturn and it says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And in the Eremos, that's what you come back to. But for us, and Ben, you can come back up. From the moment we wake up and grab our phones, all right? And I'm just going to get real, like this is the cultural moment we live in right now. And this will finish on a high note, don't worry. Like, we'll walk out of here built up, all right? But can we just have real talk? Like, and I'm not anti-technology, clearly, look at these TVs, right? <laughs> I have my phone in my pocket while I'm preaching right now. Like, I love this thing, it's an amazing tool, okay? But let's just, let's have real talk. From the moment we wake up and grab our phones to the moment we fall asleep holding them, there is no silence and no break anymore. Used to be, not anymore, not since 2007, when this thing got set free into the world. No break from cultural religion and the constant, constant reminder that, yeah, you probably are falling behind. I mean, look at your feed. anxious and troubled about many things. That's what this religion, like, because you can never win with religion. And so, of course, and, and right now we have an anxiety and depression epidemic. I experience it. Everybody, to some extent, is. Guys, 39% of Americans recently said that they are more stressed out and anxious today than they were even one year ago. That's epidemic language, right? Right? 
Barnes & Noble just released a statement that said they, they experienced a 25% increase in their request for books about anxiety and depression, right? Instagram will make just over $10 billion this year. Do you know how they make their money? And you're like, well, yeah, like every time I get on, I see sponsored ads of everything I've ever wanted in my life is like right there for me to now tap and buy. <laughs> it's like, man, those are the shoes. I just Googled those 10 minutes ago. <laughs> and like my, my brother-in-law, Logan, and I, we were having a conversation about uh, Chevy Silverados last week. And now my Instagram feed is just Chevy Silverados like every single day. It's like, I was just talking about that. It's like, those sunglasses, that pair of jeans, I, I just, I thought about that. Like, I dreamt that. And somehow Instagram knows it, and it's right there for me to see. Like, yeah, I know how they're making me money. They're selling stuff to me. No, no. They're selling you. They're making billions selling your precious and limited attention to vendors at the cost of your anxiety. It's true. Another recent report came out that said that like, a large percentage of teenagers in North America live chronically with levels of anxiety and depression consistent with psychiatric patients from the 1950s. It's like, man, this is... And it's not slowing down. Like I picture Mary, or Martha, I'm sorry, anxious and troubled just about many things. Like grading herself on a curve just constantly, right? And it's an epidemic. And you're like, yeah, it, and it's frustrating when you talk about it in church. No, what's frustrating is anxiety and depression and the fact that everybody has it. Like everybody. That's what's frustrating to me. And I'm like, this is the one space where those things, anxiety and depression, take their place beneath the feet of Jesus Christ. That's what happens in spaces like this. That's why I love to bring it up because I see visions of a future without it. Like, I truly do. I truly do. But I bring it up a lot, man, because, like, uh, not only do I experience it, but I worry about it. And, I'll, like, let me just toot my own horn here really quick. I'm open about all my struggles, so let me have this. I, I might be the most optimistic guy that I know. Like, truly. Like, I am idealistic and Mr. Brightside probably to a fault. I took a personality test last month that likened me to Phil Dunphy from Modern Family, okay? So <laughs> let that encourage you or scare you, depending on how you feel in this church right now. So I am, I am optimistic. I'm not pessimistic about really anything except... And it, it comes like in, in prayer time, in the Aramos, like our, the cause and effect relationship that this has with the human soul. And the fact that you probably don't have a phone as much as your phone has a human. <laughs> and I, I, I have this holy fear and conviction. And I pray it's not prophetic. But I'm not sure that a lot of us are going to learn a very hard lesson the hard way. Because something's going to break, man. It's like we created something and it's amazing. And it can do so much good the same way a chainsaw is amazing and can do so much good. <laughs> it's like, but before we like knew what we had, like I, I'm even like, hey, it's Jurassic Park, right? Dr. Malcolm has a line. He's like, yeah, we were, before we knew what we had, like, oh man, like, and for us, I'm like, yeah, that's doomsday. Okay, I'll, I'll give that to you, but. Before we like knew what we created, it's like this is our new world and so many of us have kind of fallen victim to this cultural religion that has us constantly looking to the left and right, sort of like hyperventilating on a low grade somewhere deep down in our stomachs. Like I really am not enough and I really am falling behind and I really do wonder if this is how God sees me and that's why Mary is so spot on in this story because of her posture with Jesus in the Aramos because the remedy for a broken world, the remedy for Austin is not the church just trying harder to be like the good Samaritan. Once again, if that would have worked, it would have worked by now. The remedy for a broken world, for a broken city is the 
good Samaritan of the ages is Jesus. And that tells me one thing. We simply just need more Jesus. That's the remedy to everything that you've ever needed or wanted in your life is simply more Jesus. There's a reason that you want to change the world. There's a reason that you want to go deeper. It's because God put that in you, and the answer is Jesus. And so I'm thinking, man, we just need more of him. We need more conversations about how awesome Jesus is. We need more, we need more meetings at Starbucks where we sit across a, a table from one another over an orange mocha frappuccino or a, a pumpkin spice latte, whatever it is for you. And we just we talk about how good Jesus is and everything that he saved us from. And we need more, we need more hiking groups. We need more kickball leagues where we can get out into creation with each other and talk about how awesome God is and how good life can be even though it can be hard Jesus is still good we need more music that talks about Jesus and says the name Jesus every morning when I get up and I come downstairs we have a TV in our living room and I just put on the YouTube app and I put on our Hillsong uh, playlist and it's just music that sings the name Jesus over our house I'm like I don't even have to do anything like I just want that name spoken over my house because I know the power that is in that five-letter name, Jesus. We need more, we need more movies. We need to make movies about Jesus, have more conversations about Jesus, spend more time in the Aramos with Jesus because as we do that, you guys, eventually we will find ourselves. Eventually we will find ourselves going and doing likewise like Jesus tells us to do in the story of the Good Samaritan. You get alone in the Aramos and eventually you will find yourself one day like further down the road just like bandaging the wounds of humanity, however that might look for you, whether it's in Austin or Rwanda or anywhere else in the world or, or just your neighbor or your roommate, just bandaging the wounds of humanity and, and at great expense or cost to yourself. Like you give, you give beyond what is comfortable and you serve beyond what is comfortable and you're, you're finding that you're living a life that is fuller than you ever thought could ever be possible for you. And our kids will, will grow up in homes and in a church where they just think forgiveness is normal and they think giving is normal. And they think being joyful and enjoying life and having peace is normal. And they're like, man, anxiety is the weird thing. Not joy and not peace. And they just think, man, it's normal to not be obsessed with yourself and to think about other people. It's normal to give gifts. It's normal to encourage. It's normal to be in a community with other people who believe what I believe. It's normal to love God and talk about Jesus. Because if you do that, one day, years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you will look back at your life and you will go, oh my gosh, there goes the neighborhood. What just happened in my life? Jesus, you did it. You miyagi'd me. And I did not even see it coming. You made me more like you and eventually you transformed me from the inside out and going and doing likewise was as natural as breathing. And I don't even know what happened. All I know is I made space and time for the Aramos in my life. Amen. That's what this city needs, you guys. That's what Austin needs, the good Samaritan of the ages. Jesus, the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan who finds this broken man, half dead, on the side of the road. And at great cost to himself, over the period of three days, lifts him up and resurrects him and gives him a brand new life and puts him on this animal and takes him to, to an inn. I don't know if you caught that. He takes him to a hotel and essentially leaves his credit card and says, hey, take care of this guy. He's going to find family here, and I'm going to go away, but one day I'm coming back, and I promise you, when I come back, everything's going to be good, and anything outstanding, I'll take care of it. That inn in the story is the church. Right now, what you're sitting in, the community that you're a part of is the inn, is the hotel from the Good Samaritan story. We sit, we sit in front of Jesus and we say, God, speak, we're listening. And we do that because the world right now, more than ever before, is sitting in front of the church saying, speak, church, we are listening. 
You guys, like, they're, they're people, like, people are hungry. People are thirsty. People are desperate. People are broken. People know deep in their souls that there's more. And, and like, now more than ever, maybe, people are looking to the church, to communities like this for answers. And when they do, I pray to God they don't see religion and people grading themselves on a curve and people trying to earn, earn, earn and serving Jesus before they love Jesus. I pray that they look and they see a people group who have spent time in the Aramos and because of that they have been so transformed from the inside out that they look so different and they stand out so much in their city and they make them wonder so much about what it is that they have that they don't. Christians who know Jesus who have been changed by the good Samaritan of the ages. Not religion, but Jesus. Not religion, but Jesus. And so, if you guys would close your eyes. God, I pray that this space, this building, right here off North Lamar, right now, would become the Aramos for every person here. No distractions, no religion, no comparison. I just want you to see yourself. I feel like he, I feel like this is from heaven. See yourself walk out of the kitchen, taking a deep breath, frustrated, anxious, worried, falling behind, and see Jesus there, and sit down in front of him, just you and him, and you look into these eyes that are the manifestation of just pure, real love. This is the same God who was there in the beginning who, who said, let there be light. And stars flew out of his mouth. The same God who hangs galaxies across the, the universe. That God right there, undivided attention, looking at you and saying, you are doing better than you think you are. You're not as behind as you feel like. I love you. I've got more for you. But this meeting place, this needs, like it, it like there's no choice, like this needs to be your number one priority in life. There are good things, there are great things, and then there's the ultimate thing. This is that. There's a divine order. Everything in your life, everything else will flow from the Aramos, the space that you meet with the creator of everything. And so God, speak to us in that place. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.